0: hour I'm your host Astral Meadow join me as we take a glimpse into the mysterious welcome everyone today I'm joined with Dr. Mary Vashnavi Robertson. she has practiced studied and taught the Vedic sciences since 1975. The Vedas are the ancient knowledge from India, which includes yoga, Ayurveda, astrology, and more. Mainstream professional titles over her career include medical technologist and clinical psychologist. She is also a certified Ayurvedic practitioner, Vedic counselor, Vedic astrologer, and miracle minded master coach, a 15 month experience with Marianne Williamson. She serves on the executive board of the Alliance for Integrated Awareness, a nonprofit with a mission to bring social justice to the provision of mental health services to underserviced communities. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I am really glad to be here with you today.
0: Yes, thank you
1: for offering to do a
0: show with me. I originally saw you at um, the last Crystalline Expo, and you were talking to someone, but um, I like saw your booth and I was like, oh, I really want to get in touch with her. So I was so excited when you reached out to me. So yeah, and we've got another one coming up too. I'll talk about a little bit at the end of the show. So um, could we start with you giving us a little background about yourself and your
1: spiritual journey? Sure. I... Uh was quite confused for the first part of my life because I didn't connect with Christianity the way it was kind of presented to me Mm -hmm. um, by my mother in particular. She was a very religious person and spiritual, and uh, my dad was quite the scientist. So somehow uh, I found myself in the middle of all of that, and so I embraced both sides. Um, But, like I said, Christianity just kind of didn't uh, hit me, and it really wasn't until my mid-twenties when I decided um, to learn to meditate. Mm -hmm. So it was 1975, and i just come out of the 60s. I came of age in that wonderful time. Um, uh, where the motto was question authority and gave you complete permission to be whoever you truly are and so I um, learned to meditate in 75 and that was transcendental meditation which is uh was brought to the United States by Maharishi Mahashyogi and uh I've been doing it ever since. So I that's kind of my basis. Mm-hmm. And right away, I took a class from them that was on the philosophy of the Vedas. And it was like, oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's kind of how I felt about it. So um, that started my journey. And in the 80s, uh, Maharishi kind of brought the ancient science of Ayurveda to the United States. Um, And uh, I was very taken by that, too. Um, I was in graduate school at the time, studying to be a clinical psychologist. And um, I just, you know, there were parts it was kind of like, you know, I didn't like the way it was being practiced, just like Christianity. I wanted my own version, Mm -hmm. which was more holistic and included mind, body and spirit. And uh, so I was always trying to put all of those together. And Ayurveda did that for me. So Ayurveda is the ancient science out of the Vedas. Vedas, by the way, means knowledge Mm. uh, or science and so Ayurveda, Ayur means life, uh, so it's the science of how to lead your life to keep in balance and so I started my study of Ayurveda <laughs> in 1985 and, um, and really didn't, I was just putting it my own life then um, and it wasn't until um, I kind of stopped being a university professor And um, kind of decided to build my own business and my own practice. Um, And I moved back home to Tennessee uh, that I started learning it as a practitioner. Mm. Yeah. So all of these uh, yoga, you know, is the overall tradition, meaning union with God. So that's kind of the basis of it all is how do we make that connection uh with god so that we remember who we really are Mm. and we're on the path that we're meant to be on um and so um there are various sciences within the the yoga um tradition and one of them is ayurveda one of them's vedic astrology one is hatha yoga which is the practice of asanas um and um There's a very famous text called Patanjali's Yoga Sutras that kind of talks about how do we achieve this evolution. And most of these things kind of fall in there. So I've been studying it ever since. And when the pandemic hit, I thought, I've had a lot of the yoga tradition. I've had a lot of Ayurvedic training. But my weakness was Vedic astrology. So... I thought, okay, that's going to be my pandemic project. <laughs> Little did I know it was going to go on and on and on, but um, I really dove in deep. Right.
0: Yeah, I love that. I I was similar to you where I, I kind of came across each thing one-on-one, but just really felt called to unite the mind-body-spirit, yeah. you know, and it, mine started with yoga. I started doing kundalini yoga, and then I would just keep, these teachers were just coming into my life and like one would walk, you know, I wouldn't see one anymore. It was like, they would just go, like I would learn from someone and then I would, they would just disappear. And this new teacher would come in from a totally different tradition. And I'd be like, Oh, what?" Huh. And over time, I felt like they were teaching me how to take care of my mind, how to take care of my body, like my diet, you know, looking into my diet. And, yeah. um, and astrology is new to me too. I've been studying it pretty dedicatedly for a year now. And, um, I just love it, I, and there's all these different branches, and I'm really looking forward to diving into some Vedic astrology with you, too, and it just seems like I'm
1: never going to get bored with learning astrology. There's no, and it's very broad, but it's unbelievably deep in the vertical, yeah Yes, So So um, could you share some of the history of Vedic astrology with us? Yes. Uh, astrology actually... Um, and the other Vedic sciences, by the way, were cognized. I think that a lot of people were recognizing and seeing. Actually, you could see the planets and mm-hmm. um, kind of trying to understand uh, the cycles of time and so on. Um, but in the the Vedas, uh, they are it's, it. actually mentions astrology, um, and the the Rig Veda is like. I don't know, some people say 3000 BC, 5000 BC, So and that a lot of people um, say that these these books, this knowledge was cognized, meaning they could just see it. It was like a download, is how we would put it in today's language. Um, And uh, so that's when it began, and at some point it kind of moved down what I always call the Silk Road, but <clears throat> as Alexander the Great and, you know, various uh, traders and so on, you know, it it made its way toward the Mediterranean area and and uh, was there. Um, and eventually, so Western and Vedic were the same at one point, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, at, I think it was probably around, some people say 500, 700, 900, um, it began to kind of uh, depart from Western astrology a little. And that's because of the way that they calculate where things are, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and so uh, that was kind of a divergence point. Right. And the culture is a little bit different, too. So, Absolutely. like
0: with, like, Hellenistic, they're going to be focused more. With the Greek myth, the Greek gods, where, like, the Vedas is going to be you know, those particular gods and deities. So, But it makes more sense within those cultures because they're right. going to know those stories so they would be able to interpret it. So it almost needed to shift a little so that these, these other people would have like that familiarity with the story so that they'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense in my life, right?
1: So so one of the similarities of the two systems um, that survived is uh, the meaning of the houses, and the meaning of the planets, and the meaning of the signs. They're the same, but where they diverge is because of the calculations of where things are, that essentially Western astrology um, has had like a procession of the equinoxes in a way that moves everything up a sign. Mm -hmm. And so my sun sign, for instance, in Western is Aries, Mm-hmm. whereas my sun is in Pisces. Right, same for me, yeah. And so, um, yet, the sun sign isn't really the most important thing in Vedic, whereas in Western, it's very important. Right. You know, and it talks about your personality and, and some of the ways that they have of... Uh, Kind of being predictive
0: mm-hmm. and looking
1: at what's coming up uh, have to do more with the sun so um yeah so that's one of the similarities and the differences uh so uh that in um vedic what is most important actually in a certain way is your ascendant mm. because it establishes where the first house is right and um, and so that's your identity in this lifetime so just to kind of step back a little bit um, this you know the Sun kind of is the all giving pure consciousness birthing out uh, into um, manifestation and at some and It posits, by the way, that we have lots of lifetimes. And so at some point, uh, we are individualized from the collective consciousness to uh, kind of forget who that higher self is, because we take birth in an individual identity and we do that the the chart is like a snapshot of our karma in this lifetime Mm -hmm. and it's downloaded into the moon which is kind of the 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 keeper of the karma and uh so the moon in vedic astrology is your mind your emotions your intuition it's how you see things and so it provides your motivations and how you select what you're interested in and uh, what behaviors you engage in and all kinds of things. So, um, so your karma is kind of laid out, um, but also your karma changes over time as you develop. Right. So um, that, I think, is the true gift, in my opinion, of Vedic astrology it helps you understand your Dharma, Mm -hmm. which is your life path, your unique individual life path, what you're meant to be doing your duty. Um, There's lots of different words for Dharma, the right Mm -hmm. thing to do, at any moment, but also generally speaking. Uh, But um, your uh, well, and your karma is, of course, the life lessons that you're going to be going through so all of this is gonna unfold differently over time and uh, Vedic astrology has a way where you can calculate what planets are gonna be most active in your life at any one point in time and then depending on where um, uh, the houses that those planets rule uh, what are the domains In which those particular things will manifest.
0: Right, right. So the karma is sort of where we're coming from, and what we have to work with that energy. And the dharma would be what we're moving towards. Yes,
1: that's very good. Right.
0: I read a book one time, and it said, I think it might have been in India, but it was some culture where they said instead of hello, they would say, "Where have you been?" and "Where are you going?" (laughs) And so that's kind of an interesting way of thinking about Vedic astrology. Is it? You know, it's the whole story. you know, and what you're going towards, you know, and actually gives you kind of a focus because I think sometimes we get overwhelmed by that karmic, the karmic lessons, and we're like, okay, I want to help, I want to, like, get on the path to try to, you know, move past some of the karma and maybe towards, like, a purpose, right? Right. so that's, I feel like one of the big lessons with astrology is it helps us figure out and, like, guide ourselves, you know. To How can we work through that, those karmic ties and that, you know,
1: that stuff that we've accumulated? Right. You know? And it's not just us. So we, we have an individual karma, but we have a family karma. Mm. We have a cultural karma. We have a country karma. There are like a million kinds of karma. Right. And uh, so it's just what layer are you in in the collective consciousness? And, of course, this is a huge karmic time. isn't So, you know, we're uh, privileged, really, to be born uh, at this time, because there is such an awakening. That really, uh, I think, you know, one of the things that sealed me for, there was a harmonic convergence, which was like in the mid 80s. uh, And uh, um, I I had the privilege of doing a sweat lodge with a True Native American medicine man, and it just was very beautiful, and I just kind of became one with all that is. And um, so, we're in an an age that of awakening, and we really need it because um, there are, you know, it's kind of feels sometimes to me like a a battle between the light and the dark, uh, mm. that and the forces of you know, destruction, or the people who are clinging on to what is and don't want things to change. And, and those of us who are kind of more flexible and open to kind of creating something that is new. And it's not just new, it's like a phase transition is the way the transcendental meditation people. It's like when you have a a physical system that is organized on the molecular level in a certain way, it has to break apart in order to reorganize itself. And so mm-hmm. we're in the chaos right now of things that are kind of breaking apart and and uh, dying off right. and the process of restructuring and creating something new. And so, you know, that's another reason I'm uh, 73 years old. And, um, you know, by all rights, I should be able to retire and stuff. But, <laughs> you know, being the... Uh, kind of spiritually driven person that I am, I just felt it's very important for me to continue to contribute in any way that I can to um, help people kind of level up is what I like to call it into, you know, we all have times that we're concerned with ourselves. And sometimes it's with relationships. And sometimes it's concerned with the collective. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, each planet, by the way, each house, each sign has those three levels in them. Right. And according to where our planets are, they might be in a difficult position where we have challenges with that particular area, or it might be easy peasy. Right. Right.
0: That's really the karma, I guess, kind of playing in is how you can see it. Like, okay, this is a square. This is, you know, you might have to be doing a little work, but you can move through it. Right. So having that knowledge is, you know, really important. So is this like the Kali Yuga? Is that kind of the chaos that we're in? Is that? And yeah. So with Vedic, is it still like we're moving
1: into the age of Aquarius? Well, different? different people say different things. Okay. And I don't, I've not figured out who I think is right yet. <laughs> right. So. Uh, okay. I, I kind of sidestep that one. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we are in Kali Yuga mm-hmm. right now. Um, but when it ends, is a, a different story. Some people say it's quite a ways away. Uh-huh. And some people say it's not. So, right, yeah. okay. And you know, I think I think one of the things I enjoyed about there was it, this isn't the uh, the harmonic convergence. There was another thing that happened uh, fairly recently where, um, if you look at the Milky Way, that you know, our planet is in the Milky Way, right? And the center of the Milky Way is like, And our planet, not only our planet, but our sun is just a little star in the millions of stars, trillions, billions, trillions, billions of stars in the Milky Way. And in the center of the Milky Way is like this cluster of stars that's very dense. And then it kind of spirals out. You've seen pictures of it. Mm -hmm. And um, and so if you looked at the Milky Way on its side, uh, you see that there's actually kind of two planes of stars. And there's something in the center where there's not as many stars. Mm -hmm. And um, some people name that, it's an astronomy thing, not an astrology thing. Some people name that the dark rift. And so, um, you know, fairly recently in another one of these kind of new agey holidays uh, was marking the fact that the sun has moved into the dark rift. Oh, and uh, because everything's moving, right, and um, and therefore the energy of that center cluster, which many people think represents the goddess aspect of things, the female aspect of things, was more accessible to our planet um, as it moves through the dark rift.
0: Interesting, because I do feel like the goddess energy is resurfacing. Absolutely. That divine feminines like
1: demanding.
0: To be seen, you know, out of, out of, after centuries of, you know, the patriarchy just totally ruling. And, Absolutely. And I'm here for it, for sure. I feel like in, you know, India and some of even the Native American cultures, they really celebrated their women. You know, it was yeah. the, there was the divine masculine, the divine feminine, and they never really lost that connection. Right. And one
1: wasn't better than the other
0: either. Right, right. And so I feel like the feminine has to reemerge, and she's reemerging with a strong force because the patriarchy was so dominating for so long that now she has to really, you know almost be loud to be heard but then eventually like that the key would be to balance right the energies right as it's manifested
1: in the world right for sure and interestingly that shiva energy yeah um, of pure consciousness is kind of the male aspect Mm -hmm. and the manifestation or the shakti energy um that uh is the female aspect so the the female aspect gives birth to the world and actually that has something to do with my name uh when i received it i received it from this woman who's nicknamed the hugging saint uh she's viewed as a saint in the india amici and, uh, it was translated to me at the time as the power of consciousness, Ooh. which was totally overwhelming. I mean, I was <laughs> like, that was quite a long time ago and it was like, oh my gosh, I better get busy and try and grow into that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, wasn't until later that I found out that she was a goddess. And, um, and so, uh, and interestingly, the mythology about her is that she, uh, eventually uh, lived in a cave and helped people who came to see her discover, rediscover who they really were. So it was very validating. I can see that, yes.
0: And then even now you could retire, but you still feel this service, you know, this call to help serve the collective during this big shift. That's right. So I can definitely see how that name has played out for you and resonates very well. Yeah. So... Um, so I was going to talk a little bit about what's an astrology reading with you like, I know you've, um, looked at my chart quite a bit. Um, so maybe you could kind of go over some things that stood out to you and that could give everyone a good example of some of the stuff that you look for and,
1: um, find the most important placements. So, (laughs) well, I think, uh, Uh, I want to give credit, by the way, to all the teachers that have been in my life. Uh, Really, I have had, because I got into this early, I had the opportunity to sit at the feet of the authors and the the pretty famous people, Uh, and I'm still doing that. And I would recommend on your spiritual journey, if you have the opportunity to sit with people who are... um, really, uh, evolved, you know, do it. Um, Mm -hmm. and so my, uh, astrology teacher, his name is Sam Juppie, his, his, uh, Sanskrit name is Sadashiva. And, um, and so, uh, I pay honor to him. Um, and his, when you ask me that question, his words come into my mind. (laughs) And, um, and basically, of course, knowing the Ascendant, mm-hmm. um, because that establishes your identity in this lifetime. Right. And your Ascendant, of course, will be in a sign. Mm-hmm. And your Ascendant is in Capricorn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and so that uh, is ruled by Saturn. Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. It's a female aspect sign. Uh, it's an Earth sign so Uh there's kind of that groundedness and and kind of and that fits with the very little i know about you the really appreciating nature and Mm -hmm. um and being grounded in in the earth basically um and uh and so um capricorn is i think of it as practical and again grounded hardworking. um Persistent, won't take no, you know, keep going. <laughs> um, and um, and not only that, uh, well, let me go into, it's ruled by Saturn. Mm-hmm. And Saturn is there, interesting, in your first house mm-hmm. in Vedic. Um, which, you know, can sometimes make you a little cautious. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of a little bit you know is that really true or is that really me right yes right so yeah. um uh but also it's with mars venus and rahu mm-hmm. um and so that is what we call a stellium in vedic i don't know if they do that and yeah western and so you know it's gonna meld all the qualities of those planets into your identity so um <laughs> it gets complex and but there's a lot of energy behind it too you know and um, I can remember kind of one of the teachings uh, that it's kind of like there's a channel of energy and to the extent that there's all these panel, uh, 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 planets there, the channel has a lot of water and a lot of energy flowing through it, flowing through your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Does Western talk about the nodes of the moon? Yes, yes. Okay. They have
0: north and south nodes. So is that like the Rahu?
1: Rahu and K2 is what they're called. Rahu is the the north node, and K2 is the south node. And essentially, um, you know, that is a point in the sky. It's not an actual planet. And um, it's where the. Orbit of the moon around the earth and the earth around the sun meet. There's a point in the sky where all of those orbits meet. Um, And, um, you know, there's an ascending orbit and a descending orbit. So Rahu is, um, and these are karmic nodes, by the way, These, these represent a lot of karmic issues that may be coming through for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so Rahu is like uh, in the mythology, there's like this big serpent and there's like a tug of war between the devas or the, the small G gods and the Asuras, which are kind of like the bad guys mm-hmm. and the demons. And, you know, they're having this tug of war with a serpent and, um, and so uh, the head of the snake is Rahu, and it's hungry for experience. It's all the time kind of moving out into um, the environment, trying to conquer new territory. And um, the tail of the snake is more insight. It's your psychology, your spiritual development, your intuition. So... Um, and in the mythology of it all, at some point, um, uh, the head of the snake is kind of severed. It's just a head, and K2 is just the tail. So it's hungry all the time because it doesn't have any digestive system. Ah, okay. <laughs> For new experiences. Ah. And so, um, so your Rahu is a in there with all of those planets, kind of making you charge forward into the world. (laughs) Um, And that means right across the way, uh, K2 is always 180 degrees, right across the way uh, is in your seventh house. Mm -hmm. So that's the domain of relationships. And so relationships, I think, become a vehicle for the development of your spiritual side.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So that's Rahu and Ketu. So um, Saturn rules uh, the first and second house. So lifelong wise, those are two very important houses for Uh you and uh, your identity. And then as your identity kind of births out is okay. Now, what resources do I need to kind of make this trip around the horn so to speak so that could be something like education learning new skills and and, um, it can be money Mm -hmm. Um, it represents your value system too that you uh, receive from your family typically and later on you question it as we take a a trip around the 12 houses many times in our (laughs) life um, it's always being revised and at some point we question the values of our family and we keep some but we also allow others to influence us and developing new values and Uh and kind of making them more sophisticated so and of course Aquarius is ruled by Saturn and it's it's really about bringing those plans and ideas and and uh all the kind of work that you've done out into the world which you're clearly doing
0: (laughs) yes so i'm kind of moving towards the rahu so i
1: feel like i'm on a good path here oh absolutely (laughs) okay and um by the way uh your moon is in sagittarius in the system Uh, in the 12th house and the 12th house is uh, in this system it's kind of if you look at your identity development you know so we have the first house your identity then you have the values and then you spread out from the family and you have peers and more learning and then the fourth is like okay out of all of that what's true to my heart it also the fourth house is the mother too and the home And the fifth house is, okay, we've identified all these beautiful things in our heart. Now let's create something. So that's the house of creativity. It might be, for instance, creating a child. Mm -hmm. So some people call it the house of children. The sixth house is the house of, some people call it troubles, enemies. There's different things. But also you can look at it as these are the challenges that come before us that we uh, in order to kind of move through them uh, we learn to look at the hard work and the challenges as part of the path and we can turn those into devotion to the path and it's kind of like if you have a baby this is my teacher's example he always uses you know you you love that baby to death of course but uh, not doesn't take long to realize they're a lot of work <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, you have your moments, and it's like, okay, but I love my baby. You know, you kind of keep going back to that. So that's kind of how that is. And so then the seventh house is about relationships, and it could be your romantic or your business relationships, but it's also a little bit relationships in general. Mm -hmm. And the eighth house is uh, really a house of transformation and... Uh, sometimes of loss because our relationships sometimes disappoint us or something happens where we lose something and we're disappointed and it brings up our sense of vulnerability and maybe some fears and so in order to work those through we have to kind of come through and turn them into strengths Mm. and we take all of that all those lessons and we wind it into the ninth house which is our perspective on things and it informs a new perspective and then the 10th house is where we take that perspective and wind it into our calling our our work and the 11th house is okay now we'll bring it out into the world and our highest ambitions and the 12th house is like that wasn't it either oh no (laughs) (laughs) I have to let go of all of that. And we have to learn to surrender the ego in order to kind of be born again into the first house of our new identity. Mm -hmm. So your moon, and my moon, by the way, is in the 12th house, too. Oh,
0: wow. Um,
1: And so, uh, you know, is kind of facilitating. I think it's a great place to have the moon okay yeah Uh, because it's informing um, you know as you get good at letting go and surrendering you know you can make that trip around much more easily you're not fighting surrendering to the ego Mm -hmm. so in this system you know there's the ego which is that part that forgets our connection to God or pure consciousness and then you know, there's that higher aspect of self. And so we don't, we learn not to get too stuck. We learn to be more accepting of what is and let it go and allow ourselves to be transformed. Mm,
0: I love that view of the 12th. That helps because yeah. there is some, you know, there's some people that don't love the 12th house. So I've always felt almost bad about having that place. with there, I've kind of went a little crazy trying to like figure out what's the beauty here. But that is maybe the non-attachment and yeah. just being able to truly transform and evolve and learn from all those other houses. Right. Because, like, they're all kind of in the 12th house, you know, because you've already went through them all in order to get to the 12th. That's right. So it's, like,
1: almost like the end of a journey, but an evolved spirit. Yeah. Maybe. So you can look at those 12 houses as across the whole lifespan, but you can look at them as you know happening in one month for instance right or in one day you know in one moment you can go through all of those things so um we're constantly being transformed yes and as each planet makes that trip around the horn by the you know the moon takes a month right Mm -hmm. to go around um and the uh i don't know I know Rahu and Ketu are about 18 years to go around. I'm about ready to have a Rahu Ketu return, meaning it's kind of... uh, And Rahu for me also is in my first house. And so it's a change of identity for me because um, that's happening. So you're in... um, You know, I said that the gift of Vedic astrology is how these things uh, progress over time, right? Mm -hmm. And so um there is a, a a whole kind of series of calculations which fortunately we have the computer to do these right. days <laughs> and um and so there's these major periods of life and there are nine that are associated with each of the seven uh inner planets and also rahu and Ketu. um and so you know, there's a period associated with each one, and the moon determines kind of where you start in all of those cycles. And so um, we can look at what cycle you're in. Um, the nine major cycles are called Mahadasha. Maha means great, and Dasha is the cycle. And then there's a secondary one, uh, which is your Antar Dasha. So... Uh, You are in a Mm -hmm. Rahu-Mercury Dasha period. (laughs) Is that good? (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. Okay. And uh, so Rahu is in your house of identity. So basically, Rahu is a long Mahadasha. It's like something like 18 years. Okay. 18 plus. Um, And so you are kind of in the middle of it. Mm Mm-hmm and um and for me i know when i was in my rahu dasha cycle is when i learned to meditate it was like a big spiritual awakening and i asked my teacher i said i don't get that because Rahu is so challenging it's a challenging time Uh um you know uh and we tend to think of it as bad you know it's not bad it's challenging so um i asked you know uh, why I learned to meditate in Rahu. And, um, and he said, well, it's in your house of identity, Mm. you know, so it was part of my identity and was kind of slated for me during my Rahu cycle to kind of take a big spiritual turn in my life. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so Rahu is in your first house and, um, I'm going to back up a little bit because this will make more sense in a minute. But um, in Vedic astrology, there are nakshatras. I don't think they exist in Western because they're pinned to the sky. I mean, that's the big difference between Vedic and Western. Mm -hmm. In Vedic, they identify exactly, like astronomically speaking, where the zodiac begins. Where is Aries and Ashwini, which is the first nakshatra. So there are 12 signs, each have 30 degrees. Um, And then there are 27 nakshatra signs that are also kind of, and that was actually the original system, was just nakshatras. Mm -hmm. The zodiac got laid over the nakshatra system. So historically speaking, nakshatras came first. So you can get even more sophisticated looking at your nakshatra. Okay. Um, and some of those nakshatras will occur, you know, if you think about it, they're, they, they fall completely in one sign. But some of them bridge the signs, which kind of makes for this transition oh. between the signs of the zodiacs. And yours um, is, uh, I believe it's totally within... Uh, Capricorn so there's um, and your nakshatra of your ascendant is shravana it's called and if you translate that Sanskrit it means listening so this is kind of the quality it it is the quality of your identity is um, in listening And that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean just listening to me or listening to people or creating things that other people are listening to. (laughs) Um, But it also means study and listening to that deep, still, small, high self voice uh, filled with wisdom that's coming from your own studies Mm -hmm. of various traditions.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful.
1: And um, Shravana is ruled by the moon. So um, I don't know. It kind of all fits together with the moon and the 12th and informing your identity. So um, I think that's that's very important. Uh, I got off the track of uh, your... uh, Dasha period, but I'll go ahead and finish this thought and get back on it. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) sounds good. Um, uh, Shravana has as its uh, main motivation um, the building of wealth or abundance, not just money, just a sense of abundance in this mm-hmm. life. So that's kind of your ascendant, but the moon provides the main kind of motivation for things. And your moon is in a nakshatra called Utrashada. and it, its main motivation is enlightenment. So mm. your mind is very much kind of seeking that, doing what's going to most bring you the spiritual evolution that you're seeking. Yes, I love that. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go back to the uh, Dasha period. Okay. And uh, so you were in Rahu Mercury. Uh, so I talked already about a little bit about Rahu. Um, your Mercury uh, is your, your Antadasha, Dasha. So there, there's also, it's a shorter period of time. It began in about when the pandemic began. Ironically. Um, and it ends in a little less than a year. Okay. So it's a shorter period of time than that, 18 years. So there's, you know, in each Mahadasha, there's those nine subdashas. Uh-huh. So, and Mercury, of course, we know is about communication and learning new things and, um, kind of organizing and reorganizing that data and uh, those sorts of things. And so Mercury in your chart, this is how we kind of look at what's playing out right now, Mm. rules the sixth house and the ninth house. So that sixth house, remember, is kind of that hard work, turning it into devotion thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, And many people who are familiar with astrology say, also, it can represent the body and the health. Uh, so there may be some health challenges that pop up here and there so that the motivation becomes stronger to take better care of the body and mm-hmm. those sort of things. Yes. So the ninth house, uh, and that's in Gemini, by the way, your house um, houses in Gemini, which is world. We're talking about what Mercury rules. So uh, and Gemini very much see as a curiosity and... And out there learning new things as well and organizing them into hypotheses and, oh, maybe, no, that's not it. Maybe (laughs) let's reorganize it. And I don't know about you, but I'm constantly doing that in my mind.
0: (laughs) Right. And even as far as my health goes, you know, I'm always working with like an herbalist, acupuncturist, like homeopathy. I'm doing these little things to say, how can I you know maintain my health you know or get over these humps in a natural way right So there are like lots of little things, you know, I have never had like this giant health issue, but I'm all the time like having these things where it's like, Oh, gonna have to give up caffeine because my adrenal, you know, but I do feel like I'm running into those obstacles, but it's really good for me because it gets me into that daily routine of taking care of myself. So I have to do the yoga. It's, it has to be a regular practice. Like the diet has to be a lifestyle. Like I can't really cheat much you know, just a little sugar might send me off the edge, you know, so I have to be very
1: disciplined. Yeah. So I could see that being a big part. In there. And, you know, thank goodness your chart is ruled by Saturn, because Saturn's got a lot of discipline. Yes. <laughs> so we all are challenged in that area now and then, but right. uh, that's good. So Mercury also uh, rules Virgo in your chart, which is your ninth house, which again, is that overall kind of a perspective on things especially in kind of a uh in your case a, a spiritual way and um examining the world's traditions and um and kind of finding the truth and all of them they all have the truth there's one truth but many paths to it uh-huh. right yes um and so that's your journey kind of the focus. For you in this uh, Rahu Mercury cycle. Okay. Um, which is over, like I said, next July. Okay. And you'll be mo- moving into Rahu Ketu. Okay. Those are both nodes. And, you know, that means outer challenge and inner challenge, right? So, um you know, there just has to be a devotion to uh being accepting, you know doing the best you can to make the best choices that you can, and just relaxing into a very transformative mm-hmm. period um, that'll be on the, both on the inside and the outside. okay, good to know. yeah, <laughs> I'll make a note of that one. <laughs> yeah, and um I would say too that um. So those are the ruling planet Mm -hmm. uh, things. And one of the other things I think I'd like to share with you is that each of the planets, according to where they're located and, you know, uh, some of the aspects, uh, planets who, you know, are aspecting and a whole number of things. Uh, Again, thank goodness for computers, they can calculate the strength. Of the planets Uh and what that strength represents is how easy is it for me to get the intelligence that is beaming down upon me from that planet is it going to be easy peasy or (laughs) maybe a bit of a challenge and so your mars and saturn are very strong so saturn's your ruling planet and it's got a lot of strength Uh because it's in its own house It's happy there. We're all happy in our own house. Well, maybe not all, but, you know, I mean, that's our home where we feel peaceful. Um, And so um, it's very strong. But also your Mars is very strong because it's exalted in Capricorn. Right, right. And, um, And so those two planets are both Tomasic. And what that means is they are never satisfied with what is they always (laughs) want it to be better and so they're always kind of oriented toward dismantling what is and making it better yeah (laughs) does it feel like it fits yes it definitely does (laughs) and of course those are two you know i mean therefore challenging planets right right yeah so mars is kind of kind of your more here now planet It's like uh, in each situation at this moment, what is the next right thing to do? Is Uh this battle worth fighting for? If it is, what's the next right thing? Right. Saturn is more kind of, uh, it's an outer planet. It moves more slowly. It's got a lot of wisdom. And uh, having access because of its strength to that wisdom, wisdom is very, very positive, um, I think of Saturn like uh, your grandfather mm-hmm. that is maybe very loving and loves you very much, but also has kind of like got a stern streak of shaking his finger at you and right. saying, you know, you need to be all you can be. Let's do this better or whatever.
0: Right. Right.
1: Like stay on track so, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So Saturn is kind of creates a little pressure to uh, all the time kind of take all the lessons you've accumulated and wind them into uh, next step right yeah this is good I like <laughs> and your mercury is uh, in that chart uh, of, of strength of the planets is uh, the the least you know the number is the lowest uh, mm-hmm. but actually uh, it's what we call a functional benefic. So, in other words, it looks like it's not in a good place. It's in a place where it's actually debilitated, mm-hmm. um, is what we call it. Um, but it's with the sun, and there's a number of things going on where it's functionally actually acting as a benefic, and it's very strong oh, in your chart. So um, that mercury is, is kind of... Uh, bringing great which is your communication and learning bringing great uh growth and um evolution
0: wow and that's something i do feel like i've evolved into like when i was younger i couldn't articulate what i was you know i would have all these big thoughts but i couldn't communicate them to the people around me so i i studied a lot i read a lot of books i i watch other people and uh how they communicate and that actually helped me learn because i wasn't really raised in a family that was great with communicating so i had to kind of learn it from my surroundings so i kind of evolved into having that ability over time
1: so those are kind of some top level things that right uh, there's much more yes. obviously Yeah. Um, vedic astrology is very complex and and there are some things called uh yogas mm-hmm. you know that are essentially have to do with the four main structural houses, which is the first house, your identity, the fourth house is your home, Mm -hmm. and what makes your heart sing, and the tenth, or excuse me, the seventh, which is your relationships, and the tenth, which is your calling. Mm -hmm. Those are your main structural supports. But also there's the trines, which is, again, your identity, Um, and, these are your dharma planets. Mm-hmm. They help you identify what your path is. Right, and and so it's the first house and the fifth house and the ninth house. And so, um, in yours, of course, uh, we have that the first house in Capricorn, but your fifth house is in Taurus, which is another earth sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ruled by Venus, which is the planet of relationships and beauty and um, especially in Taurus it likes beautiful surroundings and you do live in a beautiful place I'll tell you that right now. I love to decorate and make
0: art and yeah I make I used to say the world is my canvas and I just anything around me I could be in the the worst situation and still be like painting and like making that that as beautiful as
1: I could so so that's your dharma right to do that and then the ninth house which is um that in virgo which is uh ruled both actually uh well it's ruled by mercury Mm -hmm. yeah and that's your overall perspective so um yeah those are kind of your dharma planets i love it and um i didn't get a lot into all the aspects uh, uh but i do just sitting here staring at it notice that um, your uh, moon and Jupiter are um, aspecting each other, which means uh, it's a seventh house aspect, which means that Jupiter is the planet of knowledge and teaching. And the moon, of course, is the mind and the emotions. And so Jupiter is informing your mind but also your mind is informing your teachings and influencing one another and um and i can see right now uh this isn't complete analysis of your aspects but uh, saturn is aspecting your third house which is um your learning and peers and um uh these sorts of things um So it's bringing its strength to that. By the way, your Mercury's in in, uh, Pisces, which Mm. is um, a very kind of metaphysical uh, planet. So I think you're right on target. (laughs) Yeah. Basically. (laughs) That's
0: great. It's interesting because when I first learned a little bit of astrology, not like deep dive, I i really had a hard time seeing my son in aries like i mean i years it took me years to try to see myself as an aries like that i radiate that like more aggressive or in your face energy because i just i'm not really like that yeah and so i would always say oh i'm a cuss because i was just a couple hours into aries i was born at four o'clock in the morning um so I was like, maybe, you know, my, my mother labored when, when, it would have been my, when I kept trying to justify it. So when I was looking at the Vedic and I was like, well, that kind of makes sense for I think a lot of people feel that cusp energy. Well, maybe it's because they might be more drawn to Vedic because, you know, they would be that other sign technically. So
1: I think that each of the systems has something to bring to us. Yes. I'm like you. I mean, I'm the same thing. My son would be. Uh, in Aries, right in Western. And I very much, you know, like that would be the most important thing. And while I did have a moment in time, so to speak, that was maybe five, six, seven years where I was kind of an activist and uh, you know, out there fighting for feminism and <laughs> that sort of thing in the 80s surge right. of feminism, right. Um, uh, generally speaking, that's not me you know I'm I'm much more uh, in the metaphysical realm. right yes I'm yeah. like that's all
0: I think about you know like everything in my life comes back to what can I learn from
1: this spiritually yeah you know and uh, I just noticed uh, my little red marks on your chart uh, that uh, your Jupiter which is that teacher it's the guru right that's a Sanskrit Jupiter in Sanskrit, it's guru. Okay. And um, and so it's about you as a teacher or finding good teachers and the knowledge that they teach. Um, it's in your sixth house mm-hmm. uh, in this system in Gemini. Um, and it's nakshatra is Ardra. And Ardra is ruled by Rahu. So that activates your Jupiter right now, too.
0: That's For that
1: whole Rahu period, that whole 18 years, your Jupiter is being activated as well.
0: It's interesting to me because I just started, um, it's been five months of the program I've been working on with Philip Clift, and the name is Life as Guru. So like the guru being all around. And each person you meet in each lesson is, you know, it's all a teacher. Right. And so that's interesting because I didn't realize that in my chart. But uh, it definitely is like a big force in my life right now. It's looking at every person, every experience as a, the ultimate teacher. Yeah. So, yeah. This has been amazing um, analysis. I've learned so much. And I really
1: appreciate you looking into that for me. So, yeah. So, um, I know one of your questions was, you know, what do you, what can you expect from a reading? What did you get out of it? Just top line, a couple of things for myself. What yeah. I, um.
0: Well, I definitely feel more comfortable with some of the terms, like as far as seeing it in comparison to Western. So I feel more f- like more familiar with it. Um, I think giving or more power to the moon really makes a lot of sense to me because I, I just feel kind of consumed with that moon placement like and I was telling you beforehand like the 12th house is just like my thing you know so it makes sense that okay if the moon is the most important part and that that's my intuition and my emotions and mine that of course I'm going to be a little obsessive about wanting to learn more about the 12th house energy so I, I feel like it almost just clarifying that this is there's a reason why I feel so drawn to that 12th house. So it's very validating. It was very validating. And also just, you know, I. it's funny because in Western, I, I'm a Capricorn moon. But I'm kind of obsessed with Capricorn. So it's because in Western, the stellium is still in Capricorn, but it would be in the 12th house. So I, I've thought so much about Saturn. You know, I'm always like, yeah, my Saturn's my daddy, you know. <laughs> but it's interesting because even when everything shifted, I still have so much Capricorn. Like, that doesn't change, right. you know, as far as um, I'm always going to feel him within my life, you know. Yes. And people are going to see that on the outside, you know. So it it's just, yeah, very validating. And um, the Jupiter placement just connected a lot of dots for me as far as what I'm doing right now and there was one of the things you were talking about that's a shorter cycle um, that you said probably started around 2020 with me but that's yeah. when I started Mercury. that's when I got inspired to do the podcast yeah and really connect with these people that I've been kind of watching you know from the outside and uh just admiring them but not really feeling confident enough to sit down and talk to them so the podcast like it is for the world. It's my gift to the world, like that act of service. But it's also, you know, I learned so much by having these conversations and having all these readings and all this energy work. And, um, yeah, it just it's so wild because it has all happened. And the esoteric school, which just came to me. You know, my friend Philip had been doing a version of it already and wanted me to come on. And, and um, I had been studying metaphysical stuff for a decade and i didn't think i'd ever have a friend or any you know i i, I it was all just for me because i didn't know anyone that knew any of it so um when he came to me and asked me to teach with him i was like so all this stuff i've been you know reading and focusing on i can finally share like i can you know organize it and talk to people about it so i just I remember just thinking, this is my dream job that I didn't realize was a job. Yes. All right. (laughs) So it definitely confirmed a lot of things that had happened in
1: my life. It makes me feel like I'm on the right track. So That's it. Yeah. (laughs) And interestingly, you don't have any choice but to be on the right track because it's your karma it's unfolding and yes we have individual choice about how we meet the challenges or Mm -hmm. how we take advantage of the positive influences Um, and so we always are uh, you know having choices, and we can make less than optimal choices. Mm-hmm. And if we do, there will be karma that will teach us that right. that was a le- less than optimal choice. <laughs> so uh, that's important. But in some ways, my t- I, I just uh, recently actually went to San Diego for a weekend of with my teacher who, and some of his advanced students. And um, he gave this talk about the reticulating, uh, reticular activating system, which is part of the brain. It's kind of like you uh, uh it helps you f- attend, it's kind of like we can't pay attention to all the stimuli. And so what is it that we're attending to? And I can't repeat his, he took a whole day to do to explain <laughs> this, how the the chart downloads into the mind. And it actually is going to influence what you're paying attention to.
0: Right. So it's like bringing that into your conscious awareness.
1: Yeah. so you that you can ignore it, really. So that you feel attracted to certain people or certain experiences or you pay attention. Uh, he played a, a video, uh, which some people may have seen. It's kind of a famous video that they do with workshops that where you're supposed to count the number of times this gorilla appears in the video. And um, uh, so there's a woman in it and the gorilla and, um, you know, everybody gets the number uh, of the gorilla appearances right because we were all assiduously counting but then he asked questions about what else was going on and nobody knows you know Like <laughs> right, you're just focused on the gorilla you weren't paying attention to anything else yeah so so um it all fits together and that's what i actually love about the vedic tradition mm-hmm. i think that uh you can kind of You know, it's so wide. And there are many paths, yogic paths, uh, devotion of knowledge, uh, Raja yoga is some kind of uh, combination of practices and um, service is another path. That's karma yoga. Mm. Devotion is bhakti yoga, where you're just so devoted. Actually, Christianity, in its devotion to Jesus is a bhakti yoga. Yeah. Um, And so really, you can look at all these world traditions and all the kind of variations within traditions as well. Mm -hmm. um, And, and kind of uh, understand it more deeply. And, um, and it includes Ayurveda, which we didn't really uh, go into that a whole lot. But that's about understanding your own constitutional nature in terms Mm -hmm. of the elements. And Um, What you're highest in is going to lead you to potentially go out of balance in that way, Um, and you can choose to alter your lifestyle and your diet in order to help achieve that balance in a more natural way. Um, And so identifying your constitutional nature which is your prakriti is a Sanskrit word for that and your vikruti which is what you are right now and how that might be out of balance from your constitutional nature mm-hmm. and then identify what steps that you need to take in order to achieve a greater balance in the manifestation of your body and mind so can you look at the
0: chart and kind of guess like this person yes has more dominant like the pita energy versus some there's because there's three
1: right yes okay and i i'm uh you know we have little quizzes that we give to people that help them understand what their main dosha is and usually you're two you're going to be highest in one and second highest in another and and then lowest in one and um You know, I would suggest uh, that one of yours, because you've got so much earth going on in your chart, Mm -hmm. is kapha dosha, which is, it is a very devotional um, uh, kapha's love, you know, and uh, it's water and earth and um, it's nurturing, it's kind. Yeah. But you have your, your pitta streak too, which is, (laughs) um, I got a little fire element going on in there and, um, which gives you your drive and motivation and, um, and helps you digest all of your experiences into knowledge. And, um, and so that's there as well. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Um, do you work with people with the Ayurveda too? Um, I know you're doing reading still, so. Yeah.
1: Uh, Well, originally, you know, career-wise, basically, I opened in 1998. I uh, started the Ayurveda Center for Natural Health Care, and um, eventually uh, I bought a, a... commercial space and had a yoga studio in, within it, but also private rooms to do consultation. I was a psychologist, mm-hmm. uh, which quite frankly supported this whole journey. Oh, yeah, um, because you don't make much money, unfortunately, from, <laughs> from alternative things. Right. <laughs> and right. so it helped me provide the space and and um, that sort of thing. Uh, and so we had a lot of teach- teachers in, and uh, workshops, and I taught Ayurvedic cooking. Mm-hmm. I learned that primarily through Maya Tawari, who's written a number of books um, on uh, food, breath, and sound is her main thing. How we're breathing and paying attention to the breath, but also making cooking a spiritual practice. Uh-huh. And everyday life is a spiritual practice, actually. Um, And sound is chanting, so I learned Sanskrit chanting from her. And um, I think Dr. Vasant Lad uh, was also a very important teacher to me. He had Ayurvedic Institute in Albuquerque, but he recently moved, for all of you who are kind of local, he moved his Ayurvedic Institute to Asheville, North Carolina, recently oh, okay so he's uh he's getting older as we all are and um and he's just a beautiful teacher as well and there have been others I already men- mentioned my Vedic astrology teacher mm-hmm. and Amachi who gave me my name and
0: oh, yeah okay
1: um
0: could you take a minute to share a little bit about the nonprofit that
1: uh, you're a part of
0: and just so people can have an awareness of it
1: yeah So, again, retirement doesn't mean retirement for me. So um, I got uh, asked to be on the board of a new nonprofit called the Alliance for Integrated Awareness. And it's really about uh, meeting the needs, the mental health needs uh, of – hopefully the world but also we're just based in this country right now Mm -hmm. Um, and it's about training practitioners in a new psychotherapy method which involves a technique that helps you um, integrate polarities and a whole number of other things Um, the first time I ever experienced that it was such a deep spiritual experience for me so it's not just the Uh, psychological aspect it really reaches into that level of awareness alliance for integrated awareness so it's bringing that into the mental health world Mm. so the board is made up of mental health professionals but we hope to expand into coaching coaches and clergy and so on Um, and it's about training practitioners to do this method with people which can make you uh, give you Efficient and effective movement in resolving trauma and anxiety and depression and all of those things, which are so huge right now mm-hmm. in our country, uh, and so um, it's the work of Melanie McGee, who's uh, decided, as she retires, to turn it, turn her lifetime work of training people in this, into a nonprofit. So that's what I'm doing with that. So uh, the link to their website will be below this podcast.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, is there anything else that you would like to expand on before we wrap it up and um, also could
1: you give our listeners the best way to contact you for a reading? Um, I'm going to also share a link um, okay. to um, my newsletter, I think is oh. the way I'll go, um, which I don't I haven't been very regular with and I'm always pledging to be more regular but now (laughs) I think I will be Um, and um, yeah uh, if you sign up if you don't like it of course you can unsubscribe but I hope to announce actually uh, a course that I'm going to do which will help people dive deeply into their chart Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's coming up in the month of October okay um that i'll do kind of like a interactive master class that'll be free to see if you that's something you'd be interested in and um and then we'll run the course in uh november and maybe one session in december uh just kind of a weekly thing um which would include a reading of your own chart and then teaching you to kind of dive deep into it mm, i love that yeah because yeah, it- uh,
0: there's a point where you do feel, like, dependent on people, you know, uh, with reading your chart. And it is empowering to be able to start looking at your own transits and things that are coming. So yeah. that's awesome that you're actually teaching yeah. it, too. And
1: another thing I'd like to mention is that on October – I think it's October 25th – there's an eclipse coming. Okay. So we'll be in eclipse energy, which usually kind of winds up uh, – winds into it a couple months in advance. So we're already in it. Mm-hmm. And – uh, maybe takes three to six months to integrate the energy that comes through during an eclipse. And that eclipse is happening in a certain house for you. So for uh, me, it is happening in my first house, which is my house of identity. It's it marking a real change in my identity. Mm -hmm. And uh, for you, it looks like it's going to be in your 10th house, which is your calling and your career. Okay. (laughs) That'll be fun to see play out. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, well, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. Um, I know you're going to be at the Crystalline Expo coming up this Saturday. Um, Do you know the times on that? Is it like?
1: I think it starts at... It's either 9 or 9.30. I think it goes until 5.30 or something. Okay. Um, And, uh, yeah, we'll have a booth there. Come see me. I am going to do little 20-minute readings uh, there. So uh, hopefully I'll be available when, or at least wave at you. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yes. Um, But, uh, yeah, if you want a little 20-minute reading, come see me and sign up. Okay, great.
0: And um, that's going to be at Rothschild. Yes. In Knoxville. In Knoxville. So, and we have a lot of um, people that have been on our show that are going to be there. So, if you've been interested in just having some conversations with these people, this would be a great time just to have some small sessions and get some energy work and buy some crystals. It's such a one just being there like in the room it's just such a beautiful energy yes yes i feel like anyone that hasn't been to a metaphysical expo is you know missing out a little bit because it's a magical uh thing for sure so thank you so much for coming out and doing this with me it's been great yes i really appreciate you so thank you yes and thank you all for tuning in check us out next time on the astral hour